and welcome to After Hours with Ashton and Mie. Today we're talking to Grace Campbell about politics, comedy and her upcoming book. Grace, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Could you please, for anyone who doesn't know what kind of stuff you're doing, give us a little bit of an intro on what you're up to at the moment. So I am um, a comedian and have just written a book in the lockdown. (laughs) <laughs> which was very intense um, and exhausting and fun, very fun. I really can't complain. Um, that is sort of mainly what I do. And then I do a podcast with my dad and started this thing called The Pink Protest. But I would say like when I'm trying to sort of, because I know when you do lots of different things, mm. people think that sounds really good. But actually to me, I like being defined by one thing. Sure. I think it's so much neater. I like being defined as a comedian because then people can expect that I'm not going to take myself too seriously. Yeah, so you, know you can be I mean? a comedian and that's your like bread and butter, but you have veins of other exactly, stuff. Exactly, which is but, the beauty of today. Yeah. No um, one boxes you in. Yeah, but ultimately everything's going to be a little bit funny, a little bit fun. Yeah, exactly. Even the serious stuff. Exactly. So let's have a little chat about, so your dad... We're not going to just talk about your dad. That's fine. I'm but, used to it. <laughs> I mean, you know, so you grew yeah. up in Westminster. Your dad's Alistair Campbell. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about what a unique, incredible experience that must have been? Yeah, um, definitely. It was like, I was really young when when I was really young. <laughs> I was really young. When I was a child, yeah. I was really young. <laughs> um, so, no, when my dad, Alistair, started working for Tony Blair, I was like, but a few weeks old. I was oh, really, really a baby. Yeah. And then on my third birthday, they won their first general election. And I was very angry about that because it was taking the thunder away from me and How my rude. day. It was your birthday. And it already felt like Tony Blair was stealing <laughs> all of the attention away from me, like from when I was a baby. So I grew this sort of deep resentment <laughs> to politics. And then also my my mum and my dad, they both worked full-time at Downing Street for like the wow. first sort of seven years of, of Tony Blair. So when I, from my age three to ten, basically, they were like working in Downing Street. So were you there? Were you like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, when about... I wasn't at school, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I did have to go to school. I wanted to be a key part of the of the team. They wouldn't let me. Yeah, so we, we got to go on inset days um, and then like, you know, on weekends, which was a lot. They worked like all the time. It was a very sort of consuming job yeah as you can imagine yeah yeah um and yeah it was it was very bizarre looking back on it it wasn't like when it was happening i was like god this is so weird because i was like that's normal yeah yeah Yeah. exactly i didn't really know anything else but i did a sort of which i'm very grateful for have a very normal life Mm. other than that like Mm. we went to like a really nice local state school all of my friends were like very like i hate the word normal but they their parents weren't working in politics basically so when i wasn't like in downing street i never thought about it did you ever meet like any other politician kids that were just really into it they were like little like you know i mean i didn't really because all of the ones i knew are great Uh uh-huh so they were all like a bit like me and and you know i don't want to sound like generalized but we're on the right side of the political spectrum. I yep, can imagine the kids of Tories, <laughs> sure, there will be yeah, some little mini Jacob Rees-Mogg walking around it. who are just like absolutely gagging what to be it? able to walk through the chambers of Westminster. <laughs> like Harry and Phil Tory boy, wasn't there? Do you remember him? No. Oh, I'm a bit older than you. He had this who was kid. that? So Harry and Phil... 
um, oh sorry yeah. yeah 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 he had a, a oh did he have he a, had character? a character called Tory boy and it was literally a little kid at school being all like oh like had like manifestos yeah, for exactly. the playground and shit exactly and like, oh, God. so I thought you said I do know who Harry Enfield is by the way anyone listening <laughs> I, I didn't just, just be born <laughs> people are like she's not a comedian she doesn't know who Harry Enfield is um, oh that's yeah exactly yeah. and that that is a sort of generalisation but mm. it is probably true they must exist because I mean, I yeah. don't think that like, you know, from an outside perspective, like my dad was like, you know, we had like the Labour posters in the windows and stuff. And it was kind of like, it was discussed in my household. So I've always kind of had, I think maybe more of a slight view and interest in politics than my other friends, because it was something that my dad was kind of a little bit active in. But most of the time, I didn't really think about how my parents saw the world or what was right or wrong. You just take it as what's in front of well, you. Well, yeah, right? and I think I think that's the thing that, like, so last week or something, Jacob Rees-Mogg posted a picture on Twitter of his kids going back to school. And, I mean, he's given them, like, the worst possible, possible names in the world. I feel so sorry for names? them. I can't actually tell you them <laughs> off by heart, but I should know this because it's <laughs> crazy, but they have, like, really, really ridiculous names. And they were in their, like, very prep school uniform and, and they looked like they were... A, in the 1920s like the railway children you know they were being like evacuated honestly their uniforms were crazy but then everyone on twitter was like sort of taking the piss out of them and it's like well the thing that i will say and i've always said this is that like i I won't bully a kid of a politician yeah that's not their choice they have no idea what's going on if they then become an adult and are still like their father then sure i'll say all of the kind of things that i'll say about their parents but Right now, when they're like five years old, they mm. just don't know what's going on and they, yeah. they can't really form many opinions. But traditionally, people do tend to follow their parents yeah. in politics. Yeah. Obviously, just, not everyone. No, exactly. And I think that, but it's the same way that you follow your parents and you kind of the sort of food that you like to eat and the sort yeah, exactly. of listening, music you listen to. And, exactly. Yeah. It's what you're exposed to and it's what kind of is around and... You know, I won't necessarily listen to everything that my parents listen to, but I know that there's music that I'm like, oh, I remember my dad playing Paul Simon when I was in the car when I was a kid, you know. Exactly. It kind of leads exactly. you on that journey. Um, so what were what what did you think your parents did when you were little? Did you really know what it was? Mm, what did they do? I don't think I knew, no. When did you like realise, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to claim to know much about politics at all, but I don't think I even realised what politics was till I was probably in my teens. Mm. How has it affected your kind of attitude towards politics today? And I know that you've just done a show about why you're never going to go into politics. So can we talk about what yeah. led to that point? So I think basically like when I, when my dad left Downing Street or around then when the Iraq war was happening, mm. we had a lot of attention from the media and the public. Like there were protesters outside our house like for a long period of time. Mm. That was when I obviously was like, okay, this is a bit odd. Like there aren't protesters outside my best friend's Tyler. Like yeah, Tyler's house yeah. doesn't have protests. Like something a bit weird is going on. Yeah. And that's when I started to think, okay, I like my dad was having like security and we were being followed around followed around by the press. And, and that was different. Um, that was definitely when I realised that what they did was not like normal wasn't like yeah. they were teachers or whatever yeah. um it definitely like and I also I did a show about this and I, I have one chapter in my book Amazing Disgrace is the name of the book but I have one chapter in it which is kind of about breaking up from politics mm. and and having such a toxic relationship with something because actually all of its um like consequences in my life personally have been quite 
negative. Obviously, right. the places I've had access to, the like nepotistic avenues and I've I've been able to go down because of politics is amazing. But do you know what? I would love someone like you to be in politics. I mm. really, really would. I feel like you've got a voice that needs to be that needs to be heard and needs to be represented. And you're fucking knowledgeable. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I think that's the one of the things is like, obviously, you say that, but actually, you know me from when I'm, you know, sitting here talking professionally. <laughs> I don't think I'd be a very good politician. I'm not professional enough in any way. Um, mm. There are loads of different reasons why, and 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 also, this is not to fault me. This is to fault the actual system. And also. It's not. It's not a very nice life. Like yeah. I've I've seen it like close up, and mm. and you you can't really get as much done as you hope you will. That's just the reality of it. Mm. You um kind of always end up in failure because that's how most political careers have to end is through yeah. some sort of failure, through some sort of controversy. Yeah, it's it's not like a very fun life, and obviously there are so many other ways that you can change the world. So I'm not saying like give up on that. I'm just saying personally, and I love loads of politicians, and I respect loads of them. Well, actually, loads is a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> but some. Yeah. Um, and I'll always like support politics and engage in it, but I would I would never ever ever have a career in politics. Yeah, and actually, in you saying that, you know what? There's more than one way to go about making a change. That is really true, and I don't even think that, you know, people are young people aren't engaged in politics correctly anyway. So if you were to go in to represent a certain demographic or a certain type of people, they wouldn't necessarily be hearing you in the same way that they can hear you on the platforms that you're using. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, I don't know. Let me think about what I'm going to say here. I think... My mum laughs at how I say think. Um, (laughs) I think that comedy and creating things and art and all forms of these, like, expressionisms, whatever they are, Mm -hmm. they can change the world in Mm -hmm. so many ways. Like, I feel my book, which not to blow my own trumpet I am a huge fan of it Uh, (laughs) I did write it myself and I'm obsessed Um, I think it will make people feel less alone like I don't think people quite expect like will quite know what to expect but I think in reading it it will make a lot of young women especially feel less alone and to me that's like well that makes me feel happier than like trying to go into politics and being a sort of what's that phrase a cog in a Machine oh yeah, small like, cog in a big machine. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, I know very well that once you get there and you're a member of parliament, and that's amazing. Sure, you can like sort of call out the prime minister and the government, but you can't actually change many laws. You yeah. can try a hundred percent, but you, you, if you're not in government, if your party is not in government, it's very hard to get what you want to yeah. get done. And I feel so sorry for like Labour MPs who have been in politics for the last like however long the Tories have been in power now like 12 years and they haven't really been able to get anything done yeah their full career so talk to me a bit more about your book so obviously it's coming out in October October 29th amazing disgrace amazing disgrace so talk to me about obviously you said it's about shame yeah what kind of drew you to that as a main narrative Well, it's about shame, quotation marks, I must say, because it's about shame that I don't think we... It's about the kinds of shame that I don't think women should actually have. Mm -hmm. So, like, really the things that... And obviously most shame that women have doesn't belong in us, okay? Like, that's just... 
part of like the culture that we live in is that as women you're born and then basically immediately there are things about you that you're sort of forced to feel ashamed of and then as you get older it gets much worse and then you become a teenager and then you go through adolescence then you become an adult and you start having sex and period and (laughs) masturbation and you know competing with other women and and feeling like you don't want to ask for more money and and all of these things that like I don't get it I don't get why we're supposed to feel these things I don't get why it's a way for like the patriarchy to stop us Mm -hmm. from being able to actually like surpass them yeah and so it's it's a book about shame quotation marks basically and it's about all of every chapter is like a different type of shame that I've experienced and and I mean I still have so many problems there are so many things that I do experience shame on but actually writing this book has made them all much more light in my head yeah basically like I I there there used to be things about my life and things that happened to me or, or things that I'd done and and now I'm just like you know what you can eventually shed all of that and yeah. you can like leave these like silly feelings like this one chapter about jealousy and how mm. we live in this world which basically like is, is social media is kind of like found upon the principle of envy and making yeah. other people envious of your life or yeah. you being envious of someone else's and life. It's the products as well. Like exactly. People against each other. You could look like this. You could have exactly. this life. Exactly. And I, you know, we all have a tendency, I think, even the people who won't admit it, to be jealous of other people. Yeah, it's of course. very natural. Yeah. And that's something I don't think we should feel ashamed of because yeah. it's not really our fault that right now, like, you have a phone and you wake up. Up and you go on that phone and you go on Instagram mm-hmm. and then you see one person who makes you feel shit about yourself and then you see another person who makes you feel even shit about them and you go on this spiral yeah. and then suddenly your like self-worth is in the bin yeah. and you're like why did I even like do you know what I mean yeah. it's like a form of self-harm r- absolutely but I also think that it's kind of it's a it's a circular thing so then you're also encouraged to only share your fucking highlight reel so here I am well, exactly. like here's me in bay out for dinner like loved him so much actually you know what you had a massive row like like, are you going to talk about that? Yeah, or not? you're not even you know? having sex. Yeah, and it's obvious. Yeah, yeah, it shows. Yeah. You haven't had sex since February. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the thing you have to really remind yourself is that it's all people's portrayals mm. of joy. And even mm. myself, and my mum said this to me the other day. She was like, because, you know, when I have bad mental health, she was like, you, you, everything you put out on Instagram, you look like you're just like this really happy kind of like yeah. fun girl. Mm. And then people are going to read your book and be like, God, she's like really quite mentally ill in lots of ways. <laughs> yeah, and she was yeah. like, I think you need to just prepare them in a way. And I was like, oh my God, what if they think that I got the book ghostwritten? And then I was like, oh my God, they're going to think I had someone else write this book for me because they're going to be like, she's too happy to write this book. Um, and so there's, there. It, it's a really scary thing to actually like, show the like not very happy sides of yourself and the not very like positive sides of yourself and the people that do do it I think are amazing and do make me on a day-to-day feel better yeah for sure and it's like sometimes it's the mundane stuff so I'm really guilty of only posting really flattering pictures but in my stories I might be a bit like oh you know this happened but I almost feel like is that a bit cowardly like should I be sharing like the shit stuff and leaving it there forever I don't know because it's kind of like yes that might make people it might feel comforted that other people are going through the same thing. But then also when I look back myself selfishly through my feed, I see like happy times and good times. And I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, things, maybe things aren't so shit. So yeah, I, don't no, know. I know like- what you mean. I, I do know what you mean. And I think it's about 
balance and also again i don't think people have to do that at all mm. i think you should always do what makes you feel comfortable i don't think that we should all then have this added pressure of <laughs> yeah, also yeah. talking about when we're also feeling be like real. Yeah. terribly terribly shit about ourselves yeah. because then that's another pressure that like no one needs yeah but i just think it's more important to remember when you're looking at someone else's life that it's a curated they go through version. exactly that motion mm-hmm. that you go through, which is like, you know, they only want to post the good stuff. Yeah. Oh, I look like, you know, much younger and much yeah, younger yeah, in this yeah. picture. I'll post that one. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. what everyone else goes yeah. through that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that also, as long as you make sure you realise or you kind of say, this is like picture number 37, because sometimes it is. Sometimes I'm like, no, mm. my phone, and my selfie is not my friend. I can't do it today. I'm just being like, you know what? It took a while to get to yeah. this point. I took yeah. a lot of makeup on and I found the nice light and it's not yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. hashtag I woke up like this. Um, so the book. So obviously you, you've always been a writer. Was writing something that kind of... What did you study? Um, filmmaking. Filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. I so, went to an art school. Oh, wicked. LCC, London College oh, yeah. of Communication. Yeah, yeah. yeah my friends there. there now. Yeah. yeah, it's a good place. Mm. I went to L- uh, LCF. Yeah. Okay, yeah. My best Same friend Jack <laughs> just graduated from there. Oh, it's a fun place. Yeah, really, yeah. really fun place. Yeah. It's great. If you're from London and you study in London, do you, can you drive? Yeah. Ah, uh, see, I never learned to drive because I grew up in London, studied in London, worked in central London. And I never had any reason to. Yeah. So my mum was like amazing when I turned 17. She was like, just get your driving license now because you're never going to do it at any other point in your life. Because <laughs> yeah. true, none of my friends really, apart yeah. from two of my best friends, no one's got a driving license. Yeah. And you're from London. Londoners like, who stay in London yeah, yeah, don't yeah. learn how to drive. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, I'm like 37. Yeah. Yeah. You drive. But why no. do you need to? No. I mean, I'd quite like to be able to do it. It would be a nice thing. Um, a nicer little addition with the old pots and stuff. Yes. So you went to art school, but you, you, so you're a woman in comedy. You're writing, you're writing books. How have you found being a female in comedy? Because I've got female comedian friends and they, I know that it's kind of like, are you still coming up against stereotypes? And, um, I, I know that that is a huge problem. Mm. I think I, when I started doing stand-up specifically, okay. I was like, this as a general vibe isn't quite for me. Mm. So I started just starting my own comedy nights. Okay. And, and sort of and then I was like, okay, soon and I gigged I did gig loads mm. and I didn't love it. Like I loved it as an experience, but I didn't love the boys' club that it felt like. And yeah. I didn't love the fact that like I was always the only woman on the lineup. Yeah. And it just felt like I was there because they had to have a woman. And then the audience would reflect the other acts and and you know, like it was a really good experience because it made me be good at being like okay they're not vibing me i need to do some of my football material i need to yeah, like, yeah. be adaptive and that's what you need as a stand-up mm. i think you'd be sort of doing yourself an injustice if you're starting stand-up and you and you already have a bit of a platform which i did and mm. i could have just said i'm gonna do my own gigs now and never do open mics whatever. Yeah. but i didn't want to do that because i knew that you have to get very very good at just like being on your toes and being like no nope, they're not liking that i need to do something else like you mm. can't sort of show them weakness basically they smell it yeah um but so i know i know that that is you know and there's so much coming out at the moment about like the sort of last few decades of being a woman in comedy and the yeah. way that the sort of sexual harassment and abuse has just been allowed to like fester mm-hmm. um and i completely completely can believe that i would mm. just say i you know i sort of did that in a slightly different way i guess mm. so the writing for comedy 
How was it transferring those skills into a book? It was actually, um, it was easier than I thought it was going to be because like when I started writing the book, it was like May, it was in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow, had, that's a quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah, book. I had two months. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You must, I mean, I suppose no one was going out at that point. So no, it was amazing. And it was just like... Perfect yeah. time to write a book, actually. It was amazing. Um, and at the beginning, my editor, so like I'd write bits and my editor would be like, right, um, this needs to be like 10 times longer. But I was writing it like it was a stand-up set. So yeah. I was like, gag, 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 funny line, funny line, funny line. She yeah. was like, we need so much more detail. Like mm. this isn't, like when you're in stand-up, it's just like simplify the story. I went to the shop and uh, the shopkeeper told me that my fanny stank or something. <laughs> yeah. But in a book, it's like I walked into the shop and the, I noticed that the, the shopkeeper had like this really weird sort of facial expression on him. And I saw that he had a bit of food in his teeth. <laughs> and I started looking and I wanted to tell him, should I tell him he's got food in his teeth? And you have to like flesh everything yeah. out, basically. So after I got used to that, I was like, cool. So it was an easy transfer. So what led you to stand up in the first place? Though? Because I I know so many funny women that I'm like oh, you'd be amazing at stand-up. And it's just not like a natural thing that you, as a woman, you kind of, you're not encouraged to like take that path. Like what was it that pushed you in that direction? It was other women that I knew, other other comedians Mm. um, who were like, you need to do this. Like I'd, I'd worked in sort of a few, I did a TV show called Riot Girls for Channel 4 and the three other women in that, um, Mm that I was in it with, they were like, you have to do stand-up grace. And they kind of pushed me to do it. And I'd, I'd not had much interest in it before because mm. I didn't actually watch much stand-up. And I, like, I don't know, I love scripted stuff. Yeah. And then I, like, properly just got so into it. And now it's completely changed the way that I write, the way that I write jokes, the way that I speak, like, mm. the way that I kind of present myself in all of the best ways. It's just yeah. made me feel so much more confident. Oh, see, do you know what? It's always something that I've, like... I, I just think it would be terrifying. I don't know how, like, I can't think of anything more exposing than standing up in front of a room full of people and telling a joke. And if no one laughs, I'd literally be like, I'm just well, that's, But actually, it's, it's, that's like the best experience ever. Mm. Because so, that's like, well, it can't get worse than that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And once, once, once that you've worse, experienced that, which I have loads, it can't get worse than that. And actually, it's not that bad when it happens. You just yeah. sort of laugh in your head. You remember that when you did this joke last week, loads of people laughed and yeah. these people aren't vibing you but that's fine it doesn't mean you're bad at what you do that's wicked that is such good advice actually for life yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah you're gonna go into a room and you're not gonna be everyone's cup of tea and you're gonna go into a room and everyone's gonna be like you know but if that's the worst oh, that happens you people don't, don't like you. oh it's so important and like i think to be honest i've never always cared if people don't like like that the, i don't need everyone to like me basically if the people I love and care about like me that's Mm. all I really that matters to me but in stand-up it's like the best way to just accept that because you're never always going to be liked and when I did the Edinburgh Fringe I did the same show every day and one day it'd be amazing next day some of the jokes would just fall so flat on their ass (laughs) but I'd know well yesterday they did enjoy it so this group these guys they just don't like me and that's yeah. fine. Like they'll leave. They'll never think about me again. I'll never think about them again. Maybe we'll see each other on the Northern Nine one day and they'll look at me and say, I saw you once and I'll say, thank you. Did you enjoy it? No. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like it's a really, really good lesson that. Can you like, could you read a room when you go in and be like, oh, these guys are going to love it? 
Do you like read? The I can. Energy? I can read the energy. Yeah, I can't look at them and, and know because mm. well, you can't. You can't yeah. But I can. I can read the the way that they're chit chattering before and and the way that they cheer when you come on and I know when it's going to be like electric. Yeah. But I guess when it goes right, like that, just it's the biggest. So addictive. Way. Yeah. So you're still doing stand-up? You're not doing stand-up at the moment, obviously, because no, you can't go out. Well, I, I mean, I am. I'm doing a show on the 1st of October. I'm oh, Once, now that the book's done, yeah, but the world, you know, yeah. I, I don't really like these virtual gigs. Yeah, how? because you do, you need to feed off that room, I really right? don't like it. I did like two in lockdown, and then every time I got asked to do one, I was like, I'm really sorry, but I can't do this. How does it work? Can you actually see people, or is it just you It depends it if it's screen? on Zoom or what, what it's on. Like, I did one on Instagram Live that was just absolute hell but then I did one on zoom and I could see them but I couldn't hear them because if I heard them then the sound would be echoing through all of the all of the people were watching so I could see them but I couldn't hear what they were doing so it made no difference horrible horrible experience yeah but I mean I guess there's a lot of industries it's like this just not going to translate for staying at home and comedy is definitely one of it yeah 100% like yeah, because you need that feedback. You know, if they're like, oh, they're laughing, oh, I'll, I'll do the next one that follows this or I'll yeah. elaborate a bit more or I'll like riff with someone. Like, yeah. Yeah, and if you're not in that, like I wouldn't have even considered that like that's just stopped for now. Like, and there's no other option. It will come back. It, it will. will come back, yeah. People need comedy and people need to laugh and they especially need um, comedy with a bit of a conscience and a bit of something to say as well. I think that's really important now because we are like, it, at the moment, obviously it's incredible how much activism is being talked about on social media but it can it sometimes feels so heavy and i think you need someone that's got a little bit of like this is really fucking difficult to approach but let's try and not be 100 percent serious let's like try and some lightness in the dark you know mm-hmm. um mm. so let's talk about so you are an activist online as well and the pink protest Let's talk about how that all began. So that is like a collective for female activism. Um, it was started by me, Scarlett, one of my best friends, Scarlett Curtis, Alice Skinner, who's an artist, Scarlett's mm-hmm. a writer, and Honey Ross, who's also a writer. Um, and it was basically like, I guess, because we all had this activist tendency, which I think most women of our generation do now, mm-hmm. you know, like social media has made that so that we kind of are all activists in yeah. some way or another and we wanted to create something that could like bridge the gap between actual like proper law changing activism and then like politics and social media and like help campaigns where we can and it's a very loose organic like group like mm-hmm. we don't we don't like work in an office. It's kind of more like a collective, you know, mm. like we'll, we're all like really good friends and we help on things when we can, but we're not like permanently working on stuff. And we worked on the free periods campaign, which was uh, the campaign to end period poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was really good. And we've just done like, yeah, we've done quite a few things in the last few years. So that's that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like for like, I absolutely love all of that and love doing all of that but I kind mm-hmm. of think activism um firstly like it's a it's a kind of tricky world yeah um and also I have worked out where I can do my activism without like being an activist yeah. basically like through work and using social media yeah, yeah for sure um 
going back to your Instagram, let's have a chat about your Gagany on Instagram series because everyone has just been loving it. Oh, <laughs> it's really, really fun. Yeah, so where did the idea for that come from? Well, basically, like, I get so many DMs and I think it's because I've done loads of, like, AMAs where I get people mm-hmm. on Instagram to... Um, tell me their dilemmas or talk to me about their love life. I think it actually started in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started in lockdown. I, kept, I was asking all, being like, tell me what's going on. Like, are you stuck with your ex-boyfriend? Like, are you, you know, what what's going on right mm. now in lockdown? And then I just get loads. Like, I get DMs, like, all the time of people just sending me their dilemmas. And I'm yeah. like, I literally am a mess. I can't believe that you actually <laughs> think that my advice is worth anything um and and then i was just like i love the idea of a of an agony aunt yeah i've always wanted to be an agony aunt because i think it's such a great concept and i love giving advice but i also like love talking about my own experiences and what i've learned from them and why you should not do what i did yeah, learn yeah. from my mistakes before like don't sleep with your friends that's just like don't yeah. do it it never goes well mm-hmm. it's never gone well for me and there were so many people that i used to be best friends with that i now do not talk to <laughs> because sex. of sex yeah, yeah. um just don't do it <laughs> and and then yeah and so now i do it like every week just people send me their their stuff What's the like most outrageous gagney? Do you think some of them are made up just to get a bit of attention? Potentially. I don't know because they are anonymous. Okay, so I don't know. Like uh, maybe, but <laughs> but I don't know because I mean some of matter. them are like so long and I I can't answer them all. Like because some of them will send me like actual like essays but in different things and oh they'll break up the yeah, story they'll like, break I'm up not finished story. yet I need to get this Part off my chest one of eight and then oh it'll be God. like yeah like just so much stuff and I you know I can't answer all of them and I have to have boundaries and be like I actually can't like yeah I can't even message you to say like I'm not answering that because I also have a life and I have my own <laughs> shit going on and like there's a there's a level of the amount that I'll take in and like yeah. give you some advice on but then I like have to go on with my day and yeah. see my own gagony on and like yeah. give myself advice basically yeah. um so yeah but it is it, I really enjoyed doing it and I hope after the book like something will cut like, I'll be able to turn the gagony on to something mm. a bit more they're all all coming together yeah nicely. yeah um so I know something else that's a, um, that you talk about, obviously, with your dad and on your Instagram page is mental health and um, anxiety. So, um, I mean, what are your experiences with anxiety? I know that you suffer. Have yeah. you been, are you like generalised anxiety? Yeah, or? I mean, I've got like anxiety and OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, yeah, I, I kind of occasionally I've like, I've had bouts of depression, mm-hmm. but I, I don't. I don't like have medication for depression. Yeah. Um, but I mainly it's anxiety and like irrational thoughts and sort of yeah, like my irrational thoughts, which is a part of OCD, mm-hmm. which people don't really know about. No, I um, didn't know that. like compulsive, intrusive thoughts, basically. Okay. Like so, like constantly like not now yeah yeah because yeah. i'm on medication now but like yeah. this time last year i was having intrusive thoughts all the time like God. going about my day and having just like the craziest thoughts in my head and like not having any way to control them mm. um which is kind of it all plays in doesn't it to like from anxiety to then my intrusive thoughts could be from anything like mm. 
I am dying of elbow cancer or yeah. like uh, this roof is about to fall in and we're all going to die here. Yeah. And then I visualise the roof falling in, like oh, constantly yeah. we're sitting here and the roof is falling in and I keep seeing, or like that there is that thing, air conditioning is about to fall on your head. Like that, not now. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But no, when I'm anxious, you yeah, you like, can spot every like danger in the room. I I suffer from anxiety as well. So do I, you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mine's really, and like, I probably didn't really recognize it as anxiety until probably the last few years but I look back now at some of the behavior even from when I was like a kid and I was like fuck I'd probably like like for years I was like I've got an irrational fear of stairs so I'll be walking upstairs totally normally and then halfway up I'm like I'm gonna fall I'm gonna <gasps> I fall have that with I'm escalators. Fall escalators are the yeah. worst and I'm like my no my legs work I can walk anywhere I can run and jump but if I'm in specifically a big staircase like in a station with lots of people going up past me I'm like I'm just gonna have to stop for a minute and just like See, I have the (laughs) other way round. So when I'm going downstairs, I visualise rolling down. Oh, yeah. So I literally (laughs) see. And I I have it when I'm driving downhill on a motorway as well. Oh, God. I visualise the car rolling and rolling and rolling. The stuff we do to ourselves. is awful. My friend suffers from really bad anxiety. And we always like, we joke about like, oh, what like mad shit did you do today? And she has one where she sees something really disgusting. She imagines putting it in her mouth. (gasps) So that's that's horrible. That's horrible. Like dog shit. Yeah, literally bogeys, dog shit, anything. She's like, now I can just imagine putting it in my mouth. And I was like, oh God, now I can imagine putting it in my mouth. Thank you. (laughs) Now you pass And all of the listeners. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. It's a funny old beast, isn't it? But I also feel like with it, you know, I always try and see like nothing's completely bad. Like everything gives you almost like a bit of a superpower. And so once you are someone who suffers from anxiety and you can recognise it, you you can recognise it in other people and be like, you know what? Yeah, and I also think that's the really good thing about being outspoken on it is Mm -hmm. that I have so many friends who would come to me and talk to me about it and, and I know the power of like just hearing someone else say it out loud and just talking to someone out loud. Mm. It's just honestly so liberating especially for men yeah because they don't get that in their like every not all of them not all no. the men yeah of course <laughs> most um they don't get that like they don't get that in their everyday that's why so many men make their girlfriends their therapists as yeah. well because they're too scared to talk to their friends about it or they're too scared to talk to like other men about it so mm-hmm. they can only talk to women about it um so i think that's a really good thing about like being outspoken and like normalizing the conversation which is also what my dad does mm. um, amazingly yeah it's incredible I see that he's been talking about his depression and I think that it needs to be talked about like massively. Like I forced my husband to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Mate, really wish I could say to every single woman, like he's a Celt. So he comes from, um, you know, heritage of being like a rough, tough guy and you get pissed to be able to tell each other that you love each other. And he, from going and speaking to someone, it has improved our relationship no end because he can actually access his emotions. If you haven't been brought up in the way that women have to have this language of emotion, he didn't know how he felt. So I'd be sitting there going, I feel like this. How do you feel? And I'd be like being confrontational, like not aggressive. I mean, maybe a little bit aggressively, actually. <laughs> but, you know, and I'd be like, and I'd be so frustrated with him. And it took us having a bit of help to realise he didn't even possess the language I need 100%. I completely, completely agree with that. But I think it's a real, you know, well done for (laughs) getting him to because actually that's the hardest part of a lot of men, is that even when they're in that place of knowing they don't have that language, they're like, but I still can't go to therapy because that's not what. 
Yeah. Like, like, I, like, you know, I always imagine, like, what a man telling their male friends that they're in therapy sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like they must get so nervous and be like, oh, no, I'm in therapy. Don't, don't ask. But yeah. No, what? You're, you're. And actually, you know, maybe I'm doing men down, basically. I think maybe I'm dumbing them down because I actually think most men, if their friend was like, I'm going to therapy, they'd yeah. be like, are you okay? Like, yeah. is everything okay? Yeah. But it's that fear that they have mm-hmm. of not wanting to admit that things aren't okay. That's the problem. Yeah. And also it's like, how do you know you're lacking something if you never had it? You know, how do you know that that these words exist and these, and these links exist if you've never had them and you've never shown them? Um, but now he's a full advocate and he's like, recommending his mates to go and see his therapist i'm like yes yeah, babe great love this is it. amazing yeah well, that's that's what like and that's actually how it really starts to change i think yeah just breaking down the normality of it and so obviously where you talk about anxiety on your instagram do you get a lot of like mental health questions and stuff come through like yes. what do you do when you get like a worrying message because i know that I mean, I've got like a little tiny following and I occasionally get people who are feeling really shit message me, which I think is wicked because obviously they feel comfortable enough that they can do that. But at the same time, I'm like, fuck, you need to talk to someone, you know, like, do you have like a... Yeah, I always, with people like that, I will always reply yeah. and like properly engage. Um, I actually don't get many and I think it's okay. maybe because of what my mum says of like people think I'm just so like happy all the time <laughs> I probably won't be very good at advice um, but I do and, and I think you know I, I get loads about anxiety especially in lockdown because that's mm. when I was probably talking about it more and and especially in relationships as well because when we talk about anxiety in relationships it can cause a lot of problems yeah. like that is something I know personally and I know from those of my friends that when you have kind of mental illness and mm-hmm. I can only speak from experience but with anxiety when you have like the intrusive thoughts that I have suffered from mm-hmm. it does really affect your ability to communicate and your ability yeah. to have like an open conversation your ability to trust people so I get lots of um messages from young women being like how can I stop my anxiety from like fucking up my relationship which I get that because that's been a worry of mine in my life 100% and I always just like will take the time to properly talk to them because you know that's something that I wish I knew how normal that was the first time in a relationship when my anxiety was starting to really cause problems because it was creating sort of situations that weren't quite happening um so I think it's just really important to always hear someone else saying that. Yeah, that it's normal and it's okay, right? We all mm. need that little bit of um, a little bit of uh, support. So, do you have any specific coping mechanisms or advice that you would give to other people who are suffering from anxiety? When you're having, like, when you're feeling very anxious, I know it sometimes feels like the only comfort. But going on your phone is quite bad I would say like going on Instagram or going on social media and like tap tap tapping away like being on your phone all day because often when I'm having a really anxious day my screen time is so much higher yeah, and it hasn't helped I'm it like, it hasn't helped self-suit, it self-suit. yeah no. <laughs> it hasn't helped it mm. like by the end of the day I'm still a mess but yeah. I've also just like been on my phone for six hours um I do like a lot of yoga mm-hmm. and I walk a lot um, and generally like exercise makes my anxiety better I'm also on medication which is amazing mm. um, and has completely changed my life and, and accepting I, that 
you know what we can't always have all the answers and it isn't like a cold shower or yeah yeah 100 mm-hmm. percent. and it's like well there is a pill that yeah. might be able to help you i don't get why why we wouldn't be yeah. taking it like, like there's no it, shame. it's like this this thing that you can just take every day that does some of the work for you yeah. not all of it but it does do some of it for you i think that's so like i hate that whole thing of like people judging or people feeling there's yeah. a taboo around taking medication. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely helped me so much. And then just, like, having a really good support network. Like, I've got, like, loads of friends. I've got so many friends. Um, <laughs> they all love me. <laughs> no, I've got an amazing, amazing group of friends. Yeah. Super, super fucking, like, always answer the phone. Always yeah. love me. Always. We always kind of show up for each other yeah which is really amazing especially in moments of crisis yeah and i think the exact same things you know having that support network and being like and also just being honest as well like i know when i'm starting to get a bit you know and i'm like oh i'm really anxious and like for me i get really like breathless (laughs) Mm -hmm. like and I'm, i'm just like i'm anxious today and it's hard for people who don't suffer from anxiety to know what it is and like people sort of say things like, oh, why? And I'm like... I know, I hate that. I'm like... Oh, never say that. <laughs> no, never, never say, say that. that if you're... Oh, you seem so happy, Grace. Yeah, and it's like... Oh, but everything's going so well for you. Why are you feeling sad? I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst thing you can yeah. say to someone. Yeah, oh, why? And I'm like, well, there are lots of good things happening, but also my brain's not necessarily focusing yeah, on yeah. them. It's focusing on anything bad that could happen. And it's just something that happens... And it's literally, there's no fucking reason. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, 100%. And often, like, it is partly chemical. And yeah, that's why, like, yeah, medication yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you were bloody diabetic, you wouldn't be scared of taking a tablet yeah. or taking an injection. Yeah. So, like, if it's, our bodies aren't always 100% functioning 100% all the time, go and do something about it. No shame whatsoever in getting some help. I think that's a really good piece of advice. The last thing I'm going to ask you is three things you have learned that brought you to where you are today. So this is, you know, is there anything that like three poignant moments you were like, this was a, this was a lesson, this was a choice, this was a, this moved me in this direction? So I think definitely going back to when I was a bit younger, Mm -hmm. always, always knowing that no level of heartbreak is, you're not going to get over it. You'll always get over it and you'll always come out of it a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really hard when you're in it to yeah. know that, but but I know from experience of re- experiences of rejection that I've had from when I was younger that I thought would wound me forever yeah. have made me a really resilient person who's like fuck all of you dickheads yes. that ever <laughs> like told me that I wasn't good enough or whatever. Mm. So that's one. I think heartbreak is like part of our evolution. Yeah. Um, and then um, three things that got me to where I am today. Um, uh, being really good at tr- trusting my intuition. Mm, that's and a theme that seems to run through a lot of these podcasts with women who are doing courageous stuff is you have to just be led from your intuition. Yeah, and you know what that's like a it's like a it's a scary thing, isn't mm. it to be like 
because especially when you're young like I started working in this industry when I was like 19 wow, yeah because okay. I started like writing comedy stuff when I was like 19 and when I was younger I would definitely be like oh no I can't that feels wrong but I can't say it because they're gonna mm. be like well the, what the fuck do you know little girl mm. and then it you sort of start doing it and then actually you get really good at it because it just becomes this thing where sometimes people's inputs and opinions are amazing and then yeah. you know that because you feel it yeah and you'd go it, but other times you'd like push back and you're like, mm, actually not quite sure about that. And that is something that like, I'm so happy to have a really strong sense of now. And I yeah. feel like, especially with my book, there have been some things that I've just like really pushed on. I've got a cartoon of me on a cloud shaped dick on the cover <laughs> of my book because I just pushed for it. Like I yeah. was like, I can't have a PG 13 book cover. Yeah. This book is not PG 13. I want people to know that. Yeah. And pushed on that. And then, you know, it looks amazing and everyone's really, happy about that yeah um so that's number two and then number three um is just the the thing that um I definitely have learned to realize and maybe it's been locked down and this whole period is like work isn't everything mm-hmm. like what you're working on isn't the thing that defines you yeah actually isn't and that's the people, a hard one to learn the people you surround yourself with in your life are to me that's what defines me and that's what defines my level of happiness is mm. who I spend time with and who I take advice from and who I like let support me and and I think a lot of people will have experienced this year because everyone's lives sort of got put on hold and yeah. all of the things that we're used to doing to showing off about our work or our holidays or our yeah. relationships or whatever we kind of can't do that now who and, are you when you strip that back exactly yeah. and it's just made me think like the, the internet isn't everything who you are online isn't everything what you're d- doing work-wise isn't everything like it's about how happy you are and making sure that you're around people that just make you feel really good about yourself yeah surrounding yourself with people that love you and that are your champions is like Everything. One of the best things you can do. And you'll recognise the people that don't do it. And it's and I think another thing is just don't be scared to walk away from those people or distance themselves. And it's hard and if it's someone that's like a family member or yeah. you know, or a partner that can sometimes be that negative mm. voice, but you need to learn to recognise where you say, No, yeah. you're not gonna be inside my head. You anymore. only want to be around people who make you feel good. Yes, amen to that. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming and joining me today on the lovely After Hours sofa, which is actually in a studio. We're not on Zoom today. We are two metres apart. We are two metres apart. (laughs) I have a tape measure here. (laughs) Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, can't wait to read the book. Oh, thanks, babe. Thank you for listening to After Hours by Ashton and Mie. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. See you back here next week for a brand new episode.